The following podcast contains true stories of sex, kink, gender, or body image. Thanks for being a consenting adult, because here we go. All of my life, I've never fit, but I won't complain and I won't quit. I am enormous, get used to it. Everyone tells me I'm too much. Maybe it's just you're not enough for me. Can't you see? I'm the kind of woman I'm supposed to be. Hi there, and welcome to the Body Storytelling Podcast. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Delator, and this week we have a story from my personal hero and the king of the porn clowns, Ouchie the Clown. How's your week going? Hey, remember last week when I told you about the friend who contacted me and said she was finally ready to tell her cancer story? And it was a big deal because she'd been very private about it, other than on her caring bridge that was shared with her closest friends and family. But she felt like it was time to tell the story and contact me to help. And nothing could have made me happier because I love this woman. Last week, I called her Hannah. And I'm sorry for lying to you, but it was her story. And until she shared it, I was not going to out her. Her real name is Helen. And she and I were roommates 15 years ago. And she's one of my very favorite people. She is just so full of joy, always this big grin on her face, only cares about other people, hardly ever talks about herself, which is why I was so surprised when she was ready to talk about herself and what she was going through. So if you remember, I went over to her house. I story coached her on how to get started and how to find the starting place and and getting to the core of the story, what it really meant to her. And during that time, she told me that her last chemo appointment was this past week, on Tuesday. And I started pushing hard. I feel bad for pushing, but honestly, I lost somebody that I care about very much to cancer about a week ago, and I was completely surprised. Jonathan Giuseppe, who appeared on the live stream during the pandemic, is someone I admired so much, and he'd been fighting cancer for six or seven years and was just pure joy, like Helen. And when I read Rest in Peace on social media the other day, I was gobsmacked. And when Helen started talking about what was going on with her cancer, I got it in my head that we have to capture this moment. We have to preserve this for posterity. And so I pushed really hard and said, ask corporate healthcare, ask the hospital if we can come in and I can record you telling your story in the chair while you're getting your last chemo session. Now, she is the easygoingest person in the world, unlike me, and she didn't want to make ripples. And she said they said no after she asked, and I said, can you ask again? And then they didn't get back to us. And I just really wanted to have this, you know? I wanted us to be able to look back on Helen at this place in her life where she felt so great, or maybe so much worse than she's going to feel in the future. That's my hope. But I wanted to record this moment. 
So, <laughs> I got up at 4 a.m. the day that her last chemo appointment was happening. I did some work. I drove across town and on the way, I got on the phone with Helen and I said, so here's the thing. I am going to be the nicest support person who ever came on the chemo ward. I know I'm pushy. I'm a loud mouth, but I promise I am going to behave. But this really needs to happen. So we're going to do it as nicely as we can. And we're going to bribe the nurses because, you know, the people in charge, the corporation, they may say no, but the nurses make the real decision. I went to House of Bagels and I picked up a fuck ton of bagels and cream cheese, this giant bag, and headed to the chemo ward. Well, she'd given me the street address and GPS took me to a parking garage that was attached to that address. But when I got out with my bag of bagels and a bunch of other stuff, I walked up to a guy doing construction and said, is this 2238? He goes, no, this is 2324. And there are like five Kaisers on Geary Street in San Francisco. I fucked up. Actually, GPS fucked up. So I texted her and I said, oh, my God, I'm not going to be there by the time they let you in. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And she's like, it's fine. They've already let me in. I'm inside. I'm going to start working on them. And it was a much calmer Helen. I show up at the right Kaiser facility. I sit in the waiting room and text her that I'm there. And almost immediately, somebody walks up to me and goes, Dixie? And it's one of my best friend's ex-boyfriends. And he looks at me and says, what are you doing here? Do you have cancer? And I said, no, no, I'm here to support a friend. What are you doing here? And he's like, well, I've got lymphoma and I'm going inside for chemo. And I couldn't believe I knew nobody in this ward and already I knew two people in this ward. I sat in the waiting room for two hours And Helen is texting me to say, I've asked them. They're getting some people settled. There's some stuff happening. She kept me updated. And finally, I get an excited text that says, they're coming to get you. A nurse opens the door and yells out, Dixie? And I walk up to the door and I say, Helen asked me to pick these up for you and bring them. This is full of bagels and cream cheese. She says that you guys have provided the best care for her while she's been going through chemo. And she's so grateful to you. That was the bribe. They take me back to her. I sit with her and I've been there a couple of minutes before she lets out this large audible breath and says, oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. I have been so anxious. I know you got this, Dix, right? And I'm like, I've got this, Helen. I'm taking over now. Don't worry about anything. And it took us quite a while. Nurses were fidgeting around with the bags on the IV drip. People were coming in to meet other people, but eventually things settled down enough where I can rest the phone against my body. I didn't bring a tripod because we'd already heard no. So I hit record and say, Helen, take your time, tell your story. And as she sat in the chemo chair with the biggest grin on her face, she talked about her chemo journey, how they'd found this cancer in her body, how they discovered more when they went in to give her a hysterectomy, And the whole thing about how scared she was, about how incredible it's been because people have shown up for her and supported her the whole way through in ways they'd always done, but in this extra concerted way. Because letting people know what you're going through finally gives them permission to help. And people have been helping her left and right. 
Honestly, Helen and I hadn't seen each other in a long time when she called me out of the blue. And I was so excited to have a purpose, to be able to help her tell her story, and to get to see her in person and support her. We recorded for a very long time, pausing occasionally to let her catch her breath or be interrupted by the nurse doing something. And it took a long time. In fact, from start to finish, I was there all day. And remember, we were told we were not allowed to do this. And it's obvious the nurses are on board. They're being very nice to us. They obviously love Helen because everybody loves Helen. And at a certain point, the IV drip bag is getting close to empty. The alarm starts going off to indicate that the feed is no longer running. The nurse comes over, checks it, and says, yeah, looks like you're done. We're going to start unhooking you. And goes into the back. And we suddenly hear Cool in the Gang's celebration playing as all the nurses on the ward come in having a little dance party for Helen, celebrating the end of six months of chemo. They presented her with a certificate of completion signed by every single nurse that worked night or day there. And Helen was beaming ear to ear. She said, what would have happened if you hadn't been there to capture that? I'm like, as she had gotten close to it, I said, ask them about ringing the bell, because I've seen plenty of movies about cancer, where when you're done with chemo, you get to ring a bell. In the movies, it looks like a big ship's bell with this big clangor, and you just, you know, ring it for all you're worth. And that's what I was expecting. But when Helen asked the nurse, the nurse went, it's right next to your hand. And it's one of those little hotel ring for service bells. So she rang the fuck out of that thing. And after the dance party, after they unhooked her, we were done. And we started to hit a wall. Like it had been, it had been so hard to get there. And we'd accomplished what we'd started out to accomplish. We were both a little giddy from it. I said, let's go celebrate. She said she wasn't very hungry. So I took her down the street for chocolate shakes and crinkle cut fries at a place about a block away that she'd never been to. And she said, Dix, what would have happened if you hadn't been there to film all that, to capture all those photos? But I said, Helen, that's not going to happen. This was so important to me that we capture this moment. It's a milestone, and you have to capture the milestones when they happen. You can't let time go by because time changes everything. I'm still in the process of uploading all the photos to where Helen can get to them, and a friend of mine is going to turn them into a video for her so that she can share it when she's ready. I told her the entire time, this is for you. This is just for you to have photos and video as you're ready to share, and when you're ready to look back at your bald head and your big smile, and how beautiful you look in that chair, doing one of the hardest things people ever do. I wish I could have done that for Jonathan, but Jonathan lived in another city and it never happened. But I got to do it for Helen. And Helen is one of my favorite people in the world. So at least I got to do that one thing. At the end of it, I said, Helen, when you're ready, we're gonna share your story of how Helen and Dixie defeated corporate healthcare and she finally got to tell her story. And she said, where are we going to share that? I'm like, anywhere you want. This is your story. This is your story to tell. And Helen, being the sort of person who doesn't really talk about herself very much, it was so thrilling just to watch her sit back in the chair and relax into talking about what she'd been going through, about how much it had been, how close she and her husband had gotten during this entire process. 
and how she appreciates life so much more than she already did, and she already did a lot. So that's the story of how Helen and Dixie defeated corporate healthcare, and she finally got to tell her story. OCD is more than what you see on TV and in the movies. Imagine having unwanted thoughts about your sexuality stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away. Relationship OCD is an often overlooked subtype of OCD that comes with unrelenting intrusive images, thoughts, and urges about your partner, loved one, or sexuality. If you think you may be struggling with relationship OCD, there's hope. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure response prevention therapy, the gold standard for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specially trained therapists. It's affordable, and they accept most major insurance plans. Breaking the OCD cycle takes effective treatment. To get started, go to nocd.com to book a free 15-minute call. And there's a link to NoCD in the show notes. It's happening next week, but there's still room for you. I'm doing a live and in-person storytelling workshop called How to Be Fascinating, Dixie's Secret System for Brilliant Storytelling. And the people who've signed up this time around are ADHD and neurodivergence coaches. They are interviewers who are working on archiving stories, you know, like a folklorist like me. They're working on their cancer story and more. This thing we do on here, it works for everything. And it's a proven concept. I've been doing it for so many years. The workshop is happening in San Francisco on Sunday, December 3rd, and I'd really love to have you in this workshop. And there's a link in the show notes to register. You've heard me ask you to subscribe to the Body Storytelling email list because as social media gets more and more restrictive, especially on me, they have marked me for nudity and sexual content. They want to make sure you don't see anything I have to say. And I'm about to release tickets for a brand new city on tour. Those tickets are going to be available first on our email list. And there's also a place in the form for you to send me a message. And that is one of my favorite things. So go to bodystorytelling.com slash subscribe. Make sure you sign up now. Send me a message if you can. And tickets are about to go on sale for the first show. Make sure you get them. Well, it's time for a story. And I've been saving this one because it was told by one of my favorite people ever a person who changed my life well over 20 years ago and who has an incredible story. But instead of telling you about his accolades, which you'll hear in this story, I want to tell you about how I met Ouchie the Clown. I was on a date in the early 2000s, and my date took me to a tentacle porn presentation. That's right, hentai. And As we sat there waiting for the presentation, which was going to be a slide deck and a bunch of information, so much science, so much cartoons, there was a DJ playing. And I looked over because it was really weird music. And there he was. I couldn't take my eyes off him. My date looked at me and said, you're really obsessed with that BDSM clown, aren't you? And I said, oh, my God, it's the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. It's all your childhood fears and all your grown-up fears thrown together in one place. He had a bald head. He had weird contacts. He had a leather harness, Doc Martin boots, 
and a little birthday party hat on top of his bald head. And of course, clown makeup. I couldn't stop thinking about him. It was just so clever. And a couple of weeks later, I'm on a dating site, Nerve.com, very old dating site, and I come across a profile on the dating site for Algie the Clown. In clown, of course. And I send him a message and I say, I saw you a couple weeks ago. Most brilliant thing I've ever seen. I want to get to know you. We immediately start messaging back and forth. And he starts telling me about all these amazing underground parties, parties I would never have found on my own. Now, I was already in the scene. I was already going out to sex parties. I was already going out to everything I could get my hands on because I was in love with this life. But the stuff he was showing me and the stuff he was introducing me to was deep, deep subculture. And he'd start saying, hey, are you going to go to sandwiches this weekend? And I'm like, what sandwiches? And he's like, it is the coolest sex party ever. And because I wasn't on the private list that was selling the tickets, he forwarded me a ticket link and... I had one of the most unforgettable nights of my life. We continued this way, never meeting in person until I was at a party called Splosh. Splosh happened in the mission in San Francisco. And (laughs) I'd found this one through going down the rabbit hole that Alchi had led me to. If you don't know what Splosh is, it's sex, food, Maybe you like to roll around in a pit of baked beans. Maybe you like to cover yourself with chocolate pudding because it's messy and feels sexy. There were kiddie pools of everything you could ever imagine. And the producer of that party really didn't believe it should be strawberries and whipped cream. So there was every kind of food. I was the sex party monitor because there was a room where you could go have sex after rolling around in spaghetti and meatballs. And... I'm standing at the doorway. The smell of ketchup and molasses and mustard and every other scent is accosting my nostrils. And somebody walks up in front of me. And it's Alchie the Clown. First time I'm meeting him in person. And he goes, hi, Dixie. And I'm like, hi, Alchie. I'm standing there with my tits completely out. And he's standing there in total clown getup. But instead of his usual leather jockstrap, he's wearing an adult diaper. And he just grins at me, grabs my hand, shoves it down the front of his diapers, and it is full of bananas. I pull it back out, look at my hand, and while I'm doing that, he pulls out a giant pixie stick. He grabs a honey bear full of honey. He covers my bear tits in honey and then starts thwacking them really hard with sweet and sour powder from the pixie stick. You don't forget someone that you meet like that. And that was the start of an incredible friendship. I got to be on real sex as an auxiliary clown for the porn clown posse. He was the king of the porn clown posse. By the way, if you don't know, my clown name is Kaksaka the Clown. And of course, I was drawn to his generosity and recoiled in horror from his dad jokes. But I loved him. I loved him from, I feel like, the first moment I ever saw him. And then when he was diagnosed with brain cancer... The community really came together, and all of us just wanted to get every minute of Alchi that we could, every moment of Doug, which was his real name. And he went on this last adventure, traveled the world, did everything that you should do when you know your time is short. He contacted me at one point, and he said he'd been asked to tell his story at Burning Man of how he got to be this person, how he fell into Burning Man because he was a core part of Burning Man culture. And I got to go over to his house, a 
a few months before the end and coach him. And I'd been told he has brain cancer. He's going to be different. But he wasn't. He was the exact same person. He was smart. He was on it. He told a great story. And a few months later, there was a message that went around to all the porn clowns and all their closest friends that he had passed. We all got together and cried and laughed and told stories and talked about how much we'd miss him. His funeral was packed. Every single inch had a person in it because everyone loved him so much. And all the clowns got out to the clown tattoos in honor of him. He died in December of 2019, right before the pandemic, and he had created instructions to his wife, Candace, who is also known as Evil Pippi, of what he wanted his big party to look like. And it took two years of waiting because of the pandemic. But in 2021, Candace contacted me and said, I want you to do a bespoke body storytelling for Doug so that people can tell their stories. I told my story, the mashed bananas, the pixie sticks. I coached his daughter. I coached several of the people in his inner circle, including Polly Superstar, who started Kinky Salon and who was a very close friend of his, to get up and tell their stories about how he changed their life. And to this day, we still talk about how he changed our life. Doug connected me with what became my family and who still are the people I call first because I love these people and they feel like I've known them forever. It's because of him that I know them. And I will always be thankful for all the good things that he brought to my life. This storyteller is my beloved, Ouchie the Clown. There is, by the way, uh, clown makeup on the microphone. I can see it. <laughs> you're not supposed to tell people I'm nervous. Jesus. Hey, well, but if you're concerned at all, there will be no sanguination in my story. <laughs> um, one of the risks of being a clown is that your nose starts to fall off after a while. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong, clowns. Um, no, it's falling off, I'm telling you. Um, so... It's 1998, it's not far from here. Um, it's January, it's dreary, it's rainy. And I am headed with my then girlfriend, now wife, to one of our favorite sex parties we've been to a couple times before, uh, called Black Sheets. Uh, Black Sheets, to this day, my favorite sex party ever. Um, for those of you who don't know Black Sheets, it is uh, on the 14th and churches around here. This was in 1998, and I don't think it lasted a whole lot longer than that. It's uh, two gay guys. They own this big three-story house. The top floor was for lounging around and fucking. The middle floor was for eating and stuff in your face. And then there was a fire pole into the dungeon. <laughs> and they had a full, like, five- or six-room dungeon. Well, I hadn't really played in the dungeon before because I don't really know anything about BDSM in 1998. So I walk in, I look around, and this is the scene. I see a naked guy in a rubber dog mask in a cage over here. I see two lesbians over here fisting one another, like up to the elbow. There's a sea of black leather because I'm in a dungeon at a sex party, right? There's black spandex, there's black latex, there's black rubber, there's black leather. 
And I'm dressed that same way, too. I've got my black leather pants on. But there's one difference. I'm dressed differently than anyone else in that I have a clown smile from ear to ear <laughs> that I had just painted on on the way over. Brainchild. I walk in, and this beautiful couple, um, buxom redhead and a black corset with thigh-high boots, and her super strapping blonde husband, they walk up to me. As soon as I walk in the door, they're like, we're going to wipe that smile off your face. I said, uh, I'd like to see you try. But let me back up, and I'm going to tell you how I got there from being born a Baptist Republican in Texas and <laughs> how I ended up here. So I'm going to make you all barf. You right? You ready? You're going to be like, ugh, because I'm going to tell you that it started at Burning Man. Sorry, it did. Um, I went to Burning Man in 97. Before that, I had been in a marriage with my boyfriend for 14 years. You know, we cooked spaghetti around the house and planted things in the backyard and that sort of thing. Took walks. I went to Burning Man and I saw two dudes juggling balls of shit. And I saw a girl clown straddle over the boy clown and pee into his mouth while he gargled the Star Spangled Banner. Needless to say, I'm like, like, what? Like, there's some weird fucking people out there. I think that I like them. So I left there. I broke up with my boyfriend. Sorry. And I decided that I needed to own some of this. And one of the interesting things about going to an event like that is that all of a sudden I had 50, 60, 70 new best friends. Like, all at once. That, when does that happen to you in your life, right? Like, all of a sudden, there's a whole new community of people, and they're all really fucking weird. Really weird, which I love. Yeah. So, a couple of things happened. Um, one of the things, that, one of the first big influences on me, um, I went to, we used to go to parties and do drugs, because when I was 35 years old, I had never, t I think I'd maybe smoked a joint. Um, I decided very... Decisively at that point, I'm like, I'm going to do every drug known to mankind. Because I don't want to do it when I'm 70. I should do it all right now. So we went to the parties. We did the things. We stayed up all night. One of the things that happened a lot was um, the hangover Sunday porn brunch that my friend Lao Jin threw. Lao Jin's here tonight. Um, we call her Lao Jin because at any given party, she's about 40 decibels louder than any other human being on the planet. <laughs> Basically, what you do at the Hangover Porn Sunday Brunch is you lay around and you drink Bloody Marys and you watch porn with your friends, you know, like you do. Well, this particular event, there happened to be a movie she was showing called Johnny Toxic's Clown Fuckers. <laughs> Again, I'm watching this movie and there's this huge L.A. like ripped body dude with a giant clown face and a dick like this, and he's fucking all these clown chicks. And again, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, how can this be happening? There's a clown having sex. Who thought of such a thing? Influence number one. Influence number two. I'm at another one of these parties. We're, we're at uh, the Cable Car Graveyard down here um, one Friday night, and we're going to go to Sacramento, because that's where you go for a good time, right? 
um, to some friends who are going to throw a party. It's in January, and it's called the Summer and Winter Party. And basically what they did is they took a giant warehouse, and they heated it to 90 degrees, even though it was cold and rainy outside. And then everybody came in and skimpy little outfits and roller skated around and sat in a weird hot tub that they'd made out of like a, a cow feeder and uh, like a tank water heater. Anyway, I didn't know what to wear. I'm like, what do I wear to a summer winter party? So being the clever guy that I am, I go to Mr. S. Leathers. I'm like, what should I get? And I buy a harness. Not like this harness. This harness that I bought has these pieces here. It's got two more here. And then it's got one that goes right down to my dick with a cock ring and comes right up my ass crack up the back and rejoins. And that's all I wore. I had no idea what it means. I didn't know what this meant. I'm there and walking around cockily doing my dude thing like you do. And I run into this couple, Margaret and Jenny. And Jenny looks at me and she says, uh, what are you going to do with that? I'm like, what? She's like, that harness. She grabs me. She's like, come here. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm going to beat you. I'm like, what? She goes, do you not know what this means? I'm like, no. She's like, it means you're a service bottom and I'm going to beat you. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm high on E. Like, I feel fine. Sure, go ahead, beat me. She kind of lightly beats me first. She kind of, and all of a sudden I'm like, I really like this. This is a lot of fun. So this goes on for a while, and I will always credit her for teaching me how to start this, because if you're any kind of person involved in the BDS community, I think you will hear at least the general consensus is if you're going to be a top, you need to have bottomed. So those are my two big influences. So back to that party. They're going to wipe the clown smile off my face. I'm like, sure, go ahead. So you try. They strap me up to a St. Andrew's cross, which is a big X-shaped cross, and kind of, it's leaning forward, so I'm kind of leaning forward on this thing. I'm not touching the ground anymore. They've ripped all my clothes off by this point. I'm a little nervous. Um, they start to thud on me. You know, gingerly, they're working me up. They're working me up, and they're like, what's your safe word? And I'm like, uh, you know, tapioca. <laughs> Which is still my safe word. In case you need to know. Um, and they start to beat on me and they start hitting me with these big leather floggers and I'm starting to get the breath knocked out of me like, <clears throat> you know, and it thump, <clears throat> and they lean over and they check in on me. They're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, why don't bicycles walk? And I said, what? And I said, why don't bicycles walk? And they're like, why? And I'm like, they're too tired. <laughs> now, now the beatings start more intensely, right? Come on. I'm like grinning and holding it in, trying not to laugh too hard. They're walloping the shit out of me. Um, my wife is standing over there laughing, and they come in to check on me again. And I'm like, hey, why did this scarecrow get an award? They're like, are you going to... Uh, yes, I am. And they're like, I don't know why. Because he was outstanding in the field. <laughs> Boom, boom, boom. So now it really goes. They're trying to get me to say my safe word. Like, do it, do it. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it. 
And they keep hitting me and hitting me. And I think, did I have one more joke in there? I probably threw one more in there. Um, like, I don't know. How do you know it's bedtime at Michael Jackson's house? Oh, uh, the big hand's on the little hand. <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> so finally, they're like, we're going to break this clown. And I'm suspended there. I'm kind of leaning forward, as I say. My dick is hanging out. And I look, and the woman has an electric fly swatter. And I'm like, what, are there bugs in here? I I've, didn't know what this... And she starts to lean it in towards my penis, and a small blue spark jumps from it to the tip of my dick. No, oh, holy shit, did that hurt. And then she hit my balls with it, and I thought the first thing hurt, but no, that hurts a lot worse. And I think I finally said tapioca at that point. But that was a lot of fun. And I realized at that point, hey, I think my brain is onto something. I think I can create a character that's a BDSM clown. A porn clown, if you will. And I kind of workshopped it with a friend of mine, Steven Raspa, who's a local artist here. Uh, we tried on some faces. I actually sewed my little costume myself because I'm very homemaker-ish that way. Um, and because it was 1998, what else was going on then? Do you remember? Well, I mean, I know that some of you, I know that some of you were only babies still, but um, yeah, exactly. The internet was a thing. Suddenly, everybody had a website. So I'm like, well, I should have an Ouchie the Clown website. And I made one. I fucking typed it out on HTML. And it's still up there, exactly like that. I haven't changed it in 20 years. All of a sudden, the phone starts ringing. Like, what the heck? And this is way before anybody was using the word meme. But the thing took off like wildfire. Like, I was getting calls from mostly morning radio talk shows, like on, you know, shitty radio stations. And they were like, we want to do an interview with you. I'm like, over the phone? They're like, yeah. I'm like, who will know that I'm a clown? They're like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, okay, fine. So I'm waking up at three in the morning. I'm waking up at four in the morning and I'm answering. I'm on the live radio. I'm in Australia. I'm in Philadelphia. I'm, we did about 75 of these things. And then suddenly people are hiring me to do weird shit like a woman hired me to fly out to Philadelphia and she was going to put me in a refrigerator box for her boyfriend's birthday. And I was going to pop out. Surprise! Happy birthday! Naked clown! Uh... You know, it starts to take off like this. I, go to, I get hired to go to, uh, to do a DJ gig at a party in Las Vegas, and they were like, we're going to pay for your hotel and to fly you out there. And I'm like, really? Like, I don't even really have any talent, you guys, but you're going to, yeah, then fucking send me out. Um, so that's where I met um, Penn and Teller, by the way. That was good. Uh, he told me, by the way, I was DJing, and I told you my nose is actually falling off. Um, he's, I'm DJing, and he leans over, and... Which one is the small one? That's, that's Penn. Where's that teller? All right. He leans over and he gets into my ear and he goes, you're my favorite porn clown. <laughs> so that's my Penn and Teller claim to fame. Um, watch this. Thank you. Okay. I can't, I can't deal anymore. Um, so this goes on for a while and at some point I'm laying in bed with my now wife and... This is a few years have gone by. The, we now have a porn clown posse of a bunch of people. Many of them are here. Um, we've been to Burning Man. We've done parties. We've done these things. She's like, what the fuck happened? 
And I'm like, you know, honestly, if my role in this life is just to make people think more lightheartedly about sex, more lightheartedly to have more fun, to make it more playful, I'll take it.
song was Carousel by Melanie Martinez. I got a message this morning from somebody who's brand new and just discovered the podcast. So this is going to blow your doors if you're brand new to body. Do you know that the only way that this podcast exists is because of our Patreon? Did you know the only reason that I haven't curled up and died like the rest of the event producers that I know who were devastated by the pandemic? The only reason I'm still here doing this is because Patreon. And I've got a really special offer for you if you sign up to support Body on Patreon right now. I've created a playlist. And this playlist is more like when I say all you can eat, you are going to walk away from the buffet and come back for months. That's how many stories are on this playlist. It is 16 entire live show recordings. How many stories do we have per show? Like four plus a number of songs times 16. So if you sign up to support body storytelling at the $25 a month or greater level right now, you're going to get all of it. And it's only for a limited time. It's only going out to people who support us at that level or greater. Greater would be great. So go to patreon.com slash body and support us at that level or higher. And I'm going to give you something that if you're brand new to body, you're going to get stuff that nobody else has seen. So sign up for my Patreon now. It's not just keeping me going, but you're going to help me hit the road if I can get enough people to pledge support. And thanks in advance for your support. I'm really excited to tell you that I am the guest host of the Risk podcast this week. There's a special episode that goes out on Thursdays, and this one is for Thanksgiving. The special series for Risk is called Sex Stories, and I'm the very first host for the very first episode. Thank you so much to Kevin Allison for featuring me on Risk. It's such a great podcast, and I've loved collaborating with Kevin and Risk for many, many years, and I hope for many, many more. So go over to wherever you listen to the Risk podcast, and you'll get to hear a bunch of sex stories and me. I know, totally out of character. It is a gratitude kind of week, and I would be ever so grateful to you if you could write the Body Storytelling Podcast a review. I love written reviews. They're my all-time favorite. I love reading your words, hearing your thoughts, and I feel so connected to you. Plus, it gives us a little bump in the podcast apps, and it means that other people can find us. Thank you in advance for doing that. Thank you for subscribing, rating, review. Thank you for telling everybody you know that the Body Podcast is something you love and that we're trying to go on tour so you may be able to see a live show in your city sometime soon. All of these things do more than I could ever do on my own. I really need your help. And I'm so thankful to you for doing it. And while I'm saying thank you, let me say thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Thank you to David Grossoff, Mosa Maxwell-Smith, Donald Mooney, Roland James, and podcast producer Roman Den Houdeker. Wherever you are, I am so grateful you're in my life, and I thank you for listening. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Delator, and this has been episode 280 of the Body Storytelling Podcast. Have a great week. Oh,